Glad to have you here on episode 97. Have you ever considered a plant-based diet? Vegan, vegetarian, maybe you watched The Game Changers, maybe you watched Cowspiracy, maybe you even took a tiny step back from that and you're pescatarian. If you chose this in the interest of optimizing your health, then you are going to get a lot from today's episode. And if you chose this path because of the death of animals, then this episode is going to be for you even more. In this episode, we talk about the life and death cycle of all biology, of all animals, how using sentience in the diet decision is really vague and confusing, and also how regenerative agriculture must be the future for humans to move forward into the next chapter. I'm a huge fan of today's guest, and I think you are going to love it. So, let's do it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously, so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? I'm glad you can join me in this somewhat unprecedented chapter of history that we are experiencing right now. I think it's really great that at such a time you are here learning about how to make your body smarter, fitter, faster and stronger because if there is anything that can help you through any and all of life's challenges really, particularly the one we all have in front of us, it is absolutely putting the right nutrition into your body and the right knowledge and inspiration into your brain. And so today's episode is going to be huge for this. Before we kick off, of course, it is my mission to coach 150 individuals to create the sustainable, healthy lifestyle that they truly want before December 2020. And if you are a regular listener of the show and want to support me, my team, and all of the amazing guests, I would love to invite you to write a review and give us five stars on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you are listening from. Don't forget too that my next program is launching soon and much of today's content will be relevant to anyone that wants to be a part of that. So, please check out all of the links in the show notes below as everything you need will be down there. So, today's guest is a big player in the space of food and health and I'm excited. Diana Rogers is a real food licensed registered dietitian and nutritionist living on a working organic farm west of Boston in the USA. She runs an active nutrition practice where she helps people with weight, metabolic and intestinal issues recover their health through diet and lifestyle. So, she is totally in alignment with all the things we do here on the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. She is the co-host of the Sustainable Dish podcast and the mum of two active kids. Diana regularly speaks at universities and conferences internationally about nutrition and sustainability, social justice, animal welfare, and food policy issues. And she's also working on a new book and film with Rob Wolf. And if you're into health and nutrition, you'll definitely know that name called Sacred Cow, which explores the place that meat has in our food system as a whole. And we'll get into that throughout the episode. But as you can probably tell by now, Diana is a heavyweight in the industry, and I'm so very excited to have her with us. And so I want to welcome you to the show, Diana. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm getting up bright and early because I'm super excited to chat with you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, it's the end of the day here. It's a beautiful summer day and um, so happy to be finally at the end of a very long, epic uh, time working on this book and film. 
Yeah, I'm excited to uh, get into the film. I've had the good fortune of reading a pre-copy of the uh, the book, which is super exciting. And so, maybe for the listeners, we can just start with what your personal food philosophy is, just to give context to the conversation. Sure. Um, well, I believe that um, we should be looking um, back into evolutionary biology to um, determine what is the most appropriate food for humans. And um, I, um, you know, am pretty against processed foods and sugars and um, think that those modern foods are what's causing all of our um, modern diseases in addition to lifestyle things like less sleep, uh, too much blue light and, and other things like that, that I'm sure you get into as well. Um, and so, um, you know, what, it, what turns out to be the healthiest food for humans is also food that we can be um, producing in a very sustainable way. Um, and so what I've noticed is that most people that are talking about sustainable diets are talking about vegan and vegetarian diets. It's sort of like, you know, looking at a broken system and then picking out what's the best choice from the broken system. Um, and the type of agriculture that I advocate for is actually um, a different type of farming system um, that actually doesn't feed into the, um, processed food industry or, um, any of the chemical extractive farming techniques that, um, have ruined our ecosystems. And why do you think that vegans pull out what they pull out, vegans and vegetarians? Uh, like, I guess I'm, I'm in the city of Melbourne and I know lots of different vegans and vegetarians. I even know nutritionists that used to be vegan and vegetarian until they uh, had all sorts of nutritional issues. But the romantic idea of the food system from a vegan in their apartment in the middle of the city is very different. And I've, I also I grew up in the countryside, you know, surrounded by farms and you know, going up the bush and seeing different things. So I was a bit desensitized to the reality of nature. But why do you think that romantic idea exists of the way that the food system works from city-based people. Right. I mean, obviously you just hit the nail on the head that we're disconnected from nature, from food production, from the fact that death has to happen in order to life for life to happen. Um, there's just so many disconnects that we, um, we don't even admit that we're animals anymore. Um, and so, um, it's quite understandable how, I, I mean, I think if I had that background and I lived in a city, I might be a ve vegetarian or vegan, um, except for the fact that I'm celiac and it would destroy me completely to eat that many grains and plants in general. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but once you start looking at how ecosystems work and how you need both plants and animals in a dynamic equilibrium and how you farming methods should actually increase life, um, increase the biodiversity. So meaning plants and animals in an ecosystem, then you, you quickly realize that a regenerative type farming system is actually the most sustainable. And, um, the problem is we have been so focused on producing calories, um, and producing human feed instead of looking at what is the healthiest food to produce for humans and how do we do that in the best way for the environment. And so um, the type of food system that I'm advocating for produces healthy food in a good way for the planet. Interesting you mentioned that um, about part about death at the beginning. And I think in the sort of you know, the situation that's happening in the world right now, the media leveraging that emotional 
cue that everybody has about death, you know, with the current situation. Every time there's one new death in Australia um, with the current pandemic, the the media just hit the trigger button on your emotions and people forget that, yeah, and I work in a hospital as well, like people forget that, you know, that's the one thing that ties us all together, including the animals, including the plants, is that at some point we Mm -hmm. will die. Yeah, and most Americans don't have a will. Um, I'm sure it's very similar um, in Australia. Nobody wants to talk about the fact that they're going to die. Everyone's trying to avoid it at all costs. I mean, even in the health space, I see so many people just overly focused on longevity and not really focused on a quality of life. Um, and so, um, you know, death is going to happen for you to live. That's what's going to happen. And so, um, we can choose to, um, have the deaths happen in a way that increases ecosystem function in life, or we can um, pretend that death doesn't exist and actually be part of perpetuating a broken system. Where did, uh, in the history of, you referred to feed rather than sort of nutrition, where did that concept come from in the beginning? Mm-hmm. Like, where did the system initially break? Was it simply just a corporate a corporate in, uh, endeavor to make more calories for less dollars? Or was there, you know, a burst in population that, that governments needed to respond to? Where did that, that sort of broken system begin? That's a really good question. Um, the broken agriculture system really started after World War II when we needed to produce a lot more food and quickly. Um, and we also um, understood how to make nitrogen fertilizers. Um, and so that actually allowed us to not use um traditional animals as fertilizer, you know, animal manure and, and, and blood and bones and the things that actually the soil needs. And um, instead we used, um, you know, chemicals uh, in order to produce food. And it really ramped up the amount of calories we were able to produce. Um, but that had horrible consequences because um, then we had all this extra food um, and we kept producing more and more and more and more, which actually makes a country quite powerful. Um, but we then had the food giants at the same time uh, taking all these excess uh, grain crops and turning them into hyperpalatable, ultra-processed foods that have uh, been destroying our health ever since. Yeah, that makes sense, that post-World War II factor. Um, I'm curious as well, what are the costs? You mentioned the nitrogen fuels, uh, filled fuels, uh, sorry, the nitrogen-filled fertilizers. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the cost and the consequence that you referred to of replacing the the soil and the earth with those as opposed to the death of actual biology that, you know, degrades and decomposes into that soil? Mm -hmm. Um, Well, uh, the American breadbasket is really only so productive because we had all these grazing animals that were building topsoil and pooping and grazing. Um, And what we have now is um, loss of topsoil and um, the soil's not covered up. So it's, it's blowing away. It's, it's washing away in the rain. It's going into our waterways and, and with it, it's taking all of the chemicals that are applied to it with it. Um, And so it's just a, it's a horrible, horrible system that's reliant on fossil fuels um, instead of, uh, you know, trying to use natural systems, um, which actually increase the soil biology instead of um, trying to sterilize everything. Um, and, and so when the animals are, you know, pooping on the ground, they're inoculating it with new uh, bacteria to feed the microbiome of the soil. Um, when we have healthy root systems, um, 
the the carbon comes down through the plant's leaves into the roots and actually feeds microorganisms that then um, feed the plant back. And um, when that uh, those grasses and legumes are allowed to rest a little bit after they've been grazed, um, that's when uh, carbon can be sequestered in the soil. That's when um, you know when we have more carbon, we actually increase the water holding capacity of the soil, so the soil is more spongy. And so when it rains, it doesn't just wash off. It actually is held in the soil. So you can have um, two areas right next to each other that get the same amount of rainfall. um, And one could look like a desert and the other one might look like a tall grassland, the one that's managed properly. And we actually show that in the film. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Yeah, awesome. I think everyone's going to have their mind blown by the film. And I was just about to reference some other films because when you get into the conversation of um, sequestering carbon, the first thing that comes up in my mind is all the people that have watched Cowspiracy. Um, and, And I'm wondering what your response is to those propaganda films and I'm going to call them propaganda films because I I come from a very similar background in the sense of evolutionary biology. I'm a biologist and that's definitely my priority when it comes to human health and I was asked recently about my program from a vegan and I said, look, morals and ethics I understand, you can keep them, that's totally fine but for me, my course is developed on the idea of optimal human health and I couldn't possibly make it vegan if that's the core motivator. Um, So I'm really curious for everyone listening that's watched Cowspiracy, maybe the Game Changers, what is your response to that kind of argument that especially Cowspiracy puts forward about the fact that, you know, uh, cattle grazing and farming is costing the globe so much? (laughs) You know, those are really simplistic things to say and come from a place of complete ignorance when it comes to actual food production or um, even, you know, basic understanding of how thermodynamics work or or basic biology or physiology. I mean, it's really easy to to want to understand that because it's a, it's, you know, meat and, and, and the idea of killing animals is very upsetting. Um, to people. And so they want simple reasons why not to eat it. But um, 
the problem is our current system where, um, you know, what's going into these fake burger products and breakfast cereals and pasta and all the processed foods, that type of agriculture is absolutely destroying our planet. Um, and we absolutely need a counterpoint to that. And so, my film was designed as a counterpoint to, you know, films like those that are being shown. So it's not necessarily a response because I, I actually have a van, just like he, the one he was driving around. I have <laughs> like my family were surfers and, you know, we could have done that. Right. But I didn't want to because I just felt like it was so disingenuous. Um, and so we come from a place of science and um, we we mean, meet with all the leading scientists in greenhouse gases and, you know, researchers into um, carbon capture and methane, um, water use um, and nutrition too. So we, we address nutrition in the film because I don't think that, um, you know, even if let's say, uh, Skittles or I get, do you have Skittles in Australia? Probably not. Okay. Let me think yeah, of no, something. We do, we do. Okay. 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 Let's say Skittles were the most sustainable thing to grow. <laughs> that doesn't mean anything because they're awful food to eat. Right. Yeah, um, that means so, obesity is growing. <laughs> right. And so, you know, these models that look at what would happen if the U S actually eliminated all animal products from our food system, one study modeled that out and saw increase in calorie intake, increase in carbohydrate intake, increase in nutrient deficiencies. And the greenhouse gases would only go down 2.6%. But people are so overly focused on greenhouse gases and just emissions without understanding that they're actually part of a total cycle. So they're not just, you know, cow farts, which are actually cow burps. Um, <laughs> but the, but the, the, what ruminants are breathing out are, is actually part of a whole biogenic cycle, which I've got this poster behind me, um, that your viewers can't see, but we have this graphic on my website as well. And we've shared it on Instagram before. Um, but when cattle breathe out methane, it's CH4. Um, it actually lives in the atmosphere for about 10 years and then it's broken down into water molecules and carbon dioxide. The water becomes part of the water cycle and the carbon dioxide is then taken up by the plants and carbon uh, goes down through the roots and O2 oxygen is what we breathe in. So this is all part of a cycle that happens. Uh, it's not a one-way street. But fossil fuels, uh, where we're extracting ancient stored carbon that's been locked in, and methane that's been locked in the Earth's core for millions of years, um, that's not part of a cycle. That is an imbalanced equation. Um, and that's that's what's happening in the fossil fuel industry and transportation. And so to, to look at emissions from cars and airplanes and equate them to beef cattle um, is, is uh, completely illogical. Interesting you mentioned the uh, vehicles and planes because I've heard that the climate change statistics with the pandemic and all the world travel that's just ceased, essentially, that there's been a massive reduction in that and th there's no less cows in the world. <laughs> right. But then, you know, then it could be argued, though, that cows make up a larger percentage, right? Yeah. Because we don't have the transportation. So all of a sudden, oh, my gosh, now now cows are the biggest problem. But, but it's just the percentage. It, 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 it doesn't mean, you know, we had the same number of ruminant animals, if not more, before we wiped out the bison and all the other um, herds that we had here. Um, and so 
there is not more methane that's being uh, you know breathed out from ruminant animals than there were than there was in the you know 16 and 1700s um, methane is not you know biogenic methane is not the problem the problem is um, co2 and methane from fossil fuels in regards to the I guess the life cycle of the animal as well. You mm-hmm. you obviously do a bit of work with animal welfare. You're on a farm. C- can you talk to the point uh, um, and, you know, maybe coming from the point of view of, you know, what's the most common thing that you hear from vegans or vegetarians or people about the death of the animals on the farms? And, and I know that you've spoken a lot on, um, you know, the different practices that, that are, you know, as humane as they could possibly be, uh, but of course, a necessary part of the life cycle and the survival of, of the human race in many ways as well. So I'm just wondering if you can talk to, you know, how animals should die, how they need to die, just to, just to give people an idea of the, the right way or the best possible practice in which they should seek their, their meat sources from. Right. Well, in um, in monoculture agriculture, so um, the farming of wheat and corn and soy and, and other crops like that, lots and lots of death happens. Uh, so I just want to talk about that for a minute because um, first, in order to make a field for one monocrop, you have to annihilate every other thing that ever lived there in the first place. So you have to get rid of the habitat for all the birds, all the squirrels and bunnies and and whatever it was that lived there before, take down all the trees, all of that in order to make way for a field. And then you're plowing it with a tractor, which kills the soil health and all the little critters that are living in the soil, um, releases tons of carbon. Um, And then you might apply some pesticides, some chemical fertilizers, some insecticides, uh, killing pollinators, um, killing the birds that need those pollinators to survive. Uh, The chemicals are washing into our rivers and streams. So they're killing the fish. They're killing the bears that eat the fish. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. Um, in a regenerative system, yes, uh, there is death as well, but there's way more life that happens. Um, and so, you know, one large ruminant animal, uh, one steer can provide, um, almost 500 pounds of meat. Now I have to translate that into kilograms, don't I? There's 2.2. So it'll be about, all right. Yeah. It'd be about two to 250. Okay. Um, in kilograms. So, uh, so that's a lot of meat, right? That's that's enough for for a family to live on for a year, um, and so that and that's one death, right? So if 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 all mammals are equal, one cow equals one field mouse. Um, you know, if you go by this um, idea of sentience as your as your moral compass, um, then a diet of least harm would actually require regenerative agriculture and eating large ruminants and, and actually not eating from the industrial food system. Um, you asked me something slightly different. I went off on a tangent. Did I answer your question? No, no, no that's good. That's good. Um, the, I guess the idea of um, if sentient is the variable in which you decide how to do things, that means that people can't be stepping on spiders mm-hmm. or squashing mm-hmm. ants or killing snakes. <laughs> it, it really, uh, yeah. Right. But I even question sentience as, as the compass, right? Because that's something, um, you know, we want to attribute worth of something based on the most human-like traits, that it has. Right. Um, so is the, is the life of a small mouse 
more meaningful to that mouse than the life of a 400-year-old tree that might be the habitat for hundreds and hundreds of things. You know, is it is it better to kill a tree or, or this little mouse? Um, I just think that, you know, there's lots of intelligence in, in lots of animals and that um, the, the idea that you can only um, eat non-sentient things um, – to me doesn't make any sense because everything is just molecules being recycled into other molecules. Um, and, and death is not the end of a line. It's just a a point in the circle and we're just a point in the circle. Um, so it's, we're we're all just stardust. (laughs) Yes. And when I talk about that, you know, a lot of religious people get really stressed out, but, um, you know, if, if, if it, if the cycle is, you know, death, decomposition, life, death, decomposition, life. I mean, that, that's, that's the cycle that's been rolling since the beginning of time. And, um, it's, it's absurd to think that we know better than nature or, um, you know, these natural cycles that, um, have sustained the planet forever. Yeah, absolutely. As you're talking about uh, different types of life and the different types of life that gets destroyed, the thing that popped up in my mind was um, like mycelium, the mycelial mass that exists in the soil, which is, you know, is up for debate as to whether that's sentient because of the way that it, you know, directs nutrients to struggling plants. And Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it's such a grey conversation. But I totally understand. We, you know, it's like we love cats and dogs because they have the most human-like traits traits because, you know, we have domesticated them and same with monkeys. Mm-hmm. But when we get down to ones that scare us and we can't relate to, we seem to care a little less, but, um, I know it's really interesting. And I don't think that you can have a true ethical argument without understanding how food is produced and also the nutritional value of that food. So, um, you know, I, I don't think it's okay to, um, to dictate what other people should eat based on your own moral compass. I think we should allow people to make their own choices for, um, you know, what is culturally appropriate for them, what grows best in their area, what they can grow that, um, you know, they want to be growing that, that nourishes them. There's a lot of places in the world where women can't own land, but they can own livestock. There's a lot of places in the world where you can't plow and, um, you know, grow corn and soy either because it's too rocky, too hilly, or there's not enough water. Growing crops is a very risky endeavor, um, especially if there's not a lot of infrastructure in that country to process them, to store them. If they have one weather event, it can destroy their entire year's harvest. And so, Livestock are way more secure. It, they're a form of currency. Um, you can sell the milk in exchange for the other things. You, you know, you can send your kids to school, um, and they're more nutrient dense. Um, and so, you know, I really am offended by um, you know these uh, suggestions from people who have the privilege to push away a nutrient dense food who can go to CVS for a B12 supplement, um, or go up the street and buy, you know, kiwis and, uh, coconut oil and, and, you know, whatever they want pretty much, um, at any time of the year, uh, to then tell other people that they should cut down their meat consumption because meat is, um, uncomfortable for them. On that note, do you think that you can supplement your way to replacing organic, biodynamic, super healthy beef. Like, because I, I, my opinion, I guess, is very much that, that if, if it was once living and breathing, it contains 
you know, the perfect bundle of nutrients to support another organism that is, you know, omnivorous like us that is living and breathing. So, where, where do you stand on that? Can can you supplement your way into meat replacement? No. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um, you, it's always ideal to get your food from a whole food source, um, and and not to take supplements. Um, you you know, supplements can be helpful in some cases of severe depletion um, as like a temporary band aid, but they um, I don't believe should be used um, on a long term basis. And there's been studies showing um, that they're just not the same as getting them from actual food. Yeah, no, and I totally agree with you and I feel the same about that. Um, I guess before we, we finish, what is sort of the most common two things, say, that you would talk about for people that are, you know, unsure about regenerative farming or, you know, they feel this confusing emotional issue when it comes to meat? What are the two things that you would talk to most to those people about how to, you know, negate that or in order to get better nutrition? Because I've worked with clients that have particular moral and ethical feelings um, that also have uh, nutritional complexities that would be solved if that ethical and moral argument wasn't there because then they'd be able to access the nutrient-dense meat, right? So I'm just wondering mm -hmm. what in your experience is the sort of the top two things that you would talk to? To help someone that wants to incorporate meat back into their diet and needs to, but they're still torn about it. Yep. Um, so, well, actually we have this awesome resource that we just, um, finished. That's going to be available very soon called meat curious. And it is for people like that, that are, uh, recovering vegans and vegetarians that need to, um, you know, get meat back in their, in their diet, um, but are uncomfortable about it. Um, so, uh, Rob Wolf and I have a whole course. It's nine modules long, and we actually walk you through all the reasons why um, meat is healthy, why it's good for the environment when raised well. Um, and we talk about, um, you know, the ethical dilemmas that people have um, in, in a very sympathetic way. Um, we also have testimonials from tons of ex-vegans and vegetarians on how they did it, right? Because it's, it's personal for everyone. Um, some people just, you tell them to eat a steak and they just run home, they buy a steak and they cook it and that's, that's, that's all they need, right? And other people <laughs> yeah. are still really torn for a long time. It reminds them of flesh, you know? I mean, they, they feel like they're actually eating a human. Um, so it, it's really just depends on, you know, how their brain is conditioned and, um, kind of taking it from there. Yeah. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Well, yeah, it's good. Um, maybe I can, I'll be able to get the link to that and chuck it down that course and chuck it down in the show notes as well. It's almost ready. It's almost ready. We're not quite yet. <laughs> All right. When, it, when it's ready, when it's ready. Yeah. Um, so as well, let's talk about sacred cow. Let's share a little bit about the book and also where everybody can find you online. Sure. Um, well, so Sacred Cow is the book version of the film. Um, the film is uh, directed more towards people who are new to this idea that want to see farms and, um, you know, need to understand the big picture of all of this. The book is the next step. So the book um, is uh, a very well-cited text on 
um, on why the arguments against meat are um, incorrect. And we kind of go argument by argument. We just kind of break it down in every way. And we even have a quick reference guide in the beginning. So if you are concerned meat's going to give you cancer, flip to page this. If you um, are worried about the water footprint of, of uh, livestock and uh, want to understand that argument, if that's specifically what you're looking for, we have that page you know, detailed for you, greenhouse gases, all of that stuff. Uh, or just tell me what to eat. Just tell me what to eat to be, you know, <laughs> if you want to skip all of that stuff, we have um, a Nutrivore challenge in the back uh, where we, um, we kind of have this, uh, you know, challenge where you can just track all your nutrients, take the emotion out of it and just look and see how it's going. Um, and actually a, a lot of that stuff, we, we kind of leaned on Marty Kendall, um, who I know is Australian based. Um, I really like the work that he's doing. And, um, so that's the book. Um, the website is sacredcow.info. Um, and then folks can follow me on, um, Instagram at sustainable dish. Awesome. Thank you. And yeah, I love the book. I've got it on my computer here right now and I've also got it on my phone. Yeah. I can't wait for the film as well. When's that due? Uh, the film is going to be available to anyone who sends us a receipt from the book, from the pre-order of the book. Um, and so, uh, by July 14th, um, and, uh, we might extend that a little bit. I don't know. When is, when is your podcast coming out? Is it this week? Oh, uh, it'll be a couple of weeks, probably six weeks from now. I'm fortunately very ahead of schedule. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, folks can visit our website to find out where to find see the film. We we have been offering it as a perk for pre-orders, um, but we should be um, having other opportunities to watch the film um, on the website when when this airs. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Diana. And for everybody listening, if you've loved this episode or you feel like you've got someone in your circle that could benefit, take a screenshot, share it with a friend, share it in your Instagram story and tag both myself and Diana. All of our links will be down in the show notes below so you can uh, jump on board and follow us and uh, get all the amazingness that Diana shares on her page. And I, I really love her Instagram page and all that stuff. So to wrap up, I just want to ask you one more question. Yep. What is one piece of health information that you wish more people knew about? The power of protein and why um, protein is the most satiating of the macronutrients and why animal protein in particular uh, is the most uh, nutrient dense way to get your protein. I love that message. I love that message. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. I'm really wrapped to have spent some time with you. I love your stuff and I'm a big fan. I'm a bit of a, I'm fanning over here. <laughs> um, hopefully we can Thank get you, you back on the show soon. All right. Thanks so much. Awesome. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use. And we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much. And I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavor to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.